Welcome to Odeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, Episode 19. If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is Odeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneurs across Africa. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in once again. I just wanted to give everyone a quick reminder to please head over to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Vibo, and YouTube and rate the show. Your ratings help us get discovered by other awesome listeners like you who want to hear awesome content about entrepreneurship and business in Africa. And it also, you know, gives us some extra motivation to keep doing what we do because we get a lot of emails from the listeners and the feedback has been awesome so far and we just like to keep uh, propagating that so please help us out by you know clicking the like button on itunes facebook stitcher radio vibo that's v-i-b-e-o-o and youtube and we really appreciate it a lot today's guest is katrin lukoff she's the founder and ceo of hq africa but before i give um the cast out of the bag and introducing katrin right now I'm just going to say, let's let's take a quick word from some of our friends, and then we'll dive right on into the show, and you get to hear all about Catherine and all the amazing things she's doing in South Africa. Are you interested in increasing sales and driving higher profitability for your company? Do you want to reach over 50 million buyers and potential customers? Then... Head over to Conga Marketplace at Conga.com. Conga.com is Nigeria's largest e-commerce marketplace that provides millions of customers the ability to access a wide variety of products at very attractive prices. Showcase your goods and services and watch your business explode. Go to Conga.com, that's K-O-N-G-A.com, and sign up to be a seller on Nigeria's largest marketplace. Hi, good morning, guys. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Katrin Lukhoff. She's a solo entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of HQ Africa, a business development and strategy consultancy that helps companies going into the e-commerce, mobile, music, and data industries launch and grow in Africa. Prior to founding HQ Africa, Catherine founded Mango OMC, which was one of South Africa's leading integrated PR and communications agencies. She sold the company after about seven years and is now operating HQ Africa. So Catherine, welcome to the show. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Um, in a nutshell, I started my first company, Manga OMC, when I was still in varsity. Um, I'd done an internship and during the course of doing that internship, uh, one of my clients, when I moved into my, my fourth and fifth year, asked me whether I would be willing to quote them and you know, take over the job in my personal capacity. And, of course, uh, being young, dumb, and uh, full of bravado, I thought that this was totally possible. And uh, Manga OMC started. And seven years later, we were working with some really fantastic clients. And it was kind of a birth of, of social media and, and bloggers and just the Internet space in South Africa from using it as a way to communicate for, for companies and for brands. And uh, we landed up working with some really great, great companies, including DSTV and Red Bull. And we launched, we ended up launching Red Bull Mobile into the country. Um, but then after seven years, I decided that it was time to do something new. I guess I always have itchy feet. So one of the curses of being an entrepreneur. 
And uh, I actually ended up joining a company called Boza, which was funded by Omidya and the uh, Google Ventures. And they are building an app for talent discovery across Africa. So my love for music really fused into Boza and working you know, across Africa, specifically Kenya and Nigeria, to help look at brand partnerships, mobile operator partnerships, OEM partnerships. And I was with Boza for two years. And uh, moved on from there and did a sabbatical. And during this time, everyone I spoke to while in the UK and in the US and uh, all the countries I traveled to to really better understand their startup ecosystems, everyone said, you know, we, we want to start companies in Africa. We want to take our brands further, but we don't know who to trust or who to speak to or where to start. And I was figured, well, you know, there's a gap in the market. So I came home and started HQ Africa and we've been going for about a year and a half and it's just been the biggest roller coaster and learning curve and it's just been phenomenal working with companies who are so open to to working and doing business on the African continent and more and more open to realizing it's not this homogenous place. You know, there are fifty four countries and each country brings within itself its own challenges and, and own opportunities and that's been really wonderful. So that's my work career in a in a nutshell. So now let's pick a few things out of that. So when you started your first company, which is Mango OMC, you said like mm-hmm. social media and technology, everything was new and companies were kind of like confused and how to use these new technologies to, to gain clients. So how, how did you figure out what you were going to do, for example? How did you land your first client? Because you were out of college or you started while in college, right? That's correct. So um, the degree I studied required that you did 11 months internship. And um, at the time, the, the agency I was working for was actually a global agency. They had some really exceptional um, brands on their books. And one of them was Woolworths Financial Services, for whom we were doing a publishing job. And, you know, this was very much about kind of dealing with the client's internal staff, writing stories, putting the entire magazine together every month, making sure that it got out to every single store. It was um, for Woolworths Financial Services, as I mentioned. So we, you know, I, I got to know the client really well. We ended up doing two or three um, divisions of their business. And so when I left the internship and decided to continue studying, there was no restraint of trade on me. And I know that the, the client really wanted to continue working with me. And it took me about six months before I agreed to it. But I took over the, the, the job and, you know, flew from there. It, it really just so happened that everything worked on word of mouth. And I think that if you under-promise and over-deliver, you'll find that you always have clients. And we just grew organically. Um, and so by the time I'd finished studying, I was working with two or three quite big brands. Um, and it was everything from tourism to financial services, etc. And then our first client came along that was in the music space. It was actually a, a rock and roll music festival down here in Cape Town. And, uh, you know, Facebook had really just started. I think this was in 2007. And, you know, we were, we climbed on board when, you know, Facebook originally started this idea that you could create pages and that you could create events. And the client freaked out because it was like, <laughs> everyone's creating an event that says rocking the daisies and that's our brand and they can't do that. And I said, but hang on a second. You have all these people wanting to talk about you and creating all these events. Why don't we flip them? So we basically started identifying all the, the bloggers that we wanted to work with. Can okay. you hear me? Yes, yes. Hi. So we basically identified all the bloggers we wanted to work with. We started we started looking at what the international trends were, which was creating blogger lounges so that they could go to the event and sit down and write up stories about all the music shows they'd just seen. And, and similarly, we reached out to every single one of the uh, 
you know, people out there on Facebook who were creating an event with that tagged the word Facebook. And we reached out to them and we said, for every events page or every um, fan page that you create around Rocking the Daisies, the page with the most likes or most invites or most, you know, team members, we will give you a free ticket. So week by week, we just tracked and people went ballistic. They all started inviting and going mad. And we, uh, we eventually then invited two or three of those um, you know, individuals plus two or three of their friends to actually come and attend the show. And it was a huge success. Um, and it was just the first time I think that any event in South Africa started using social media as a way to grow a user base. Wow. Um, and it was fun. We just had fun. That's, that's always the trick. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So now as you were growing your company, did you, um, get any external investment to launch the business? Cause it seemed that after word of mouth, your, your client list just kept on growing and growing. How did you build up your team and build up your staff to handle the demand for your services? So neither HQ Africa nor Mango OMC has ever taken any investment. Okay. I am now involved in another project that is raising an angel round because we do actually have to build an entire platform. Okay. So we're raising money for that. Um, we're looking at building a, a niche music streaming service platform, which... Okay. Uh, I, I guess we can touch on later. Yes. But with the services industry, it, it you know, there's always the the I guess the challenge that people face, which is I need more staff to be able to serve more clients. Mm -hmm. And I've always been lucky that the 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 right team members have been around whenever I've needed them. And so, for, in those instances where we didn't have a full time team member to take on the job, we would take bring on board consultants. Um, and really just ensuring that we understood the network of talent that surrounded us and making sure that we built up a network of talent who wanted to work with us, who we identified with and vice versa. And so for that reason, it really just became a process of, um, you know, bring on a new client, but in each pitch process also start identifying what resources we would need to be able to deliver on that. And so for that reason, we've, we've been lucky enough in the two services businesses I've run to never actually take any outside investment um, and really just grow it organically through through the client growth that we had. It didn't mean it wasn't tricky. 2009 hits and, you know, yeah. we had to retrench people when, and clients weren't paying and so forth. But even then, we managed to retain the core team um, and to keep the business afloat because we weren't relying on anyone else other than ourselves. And I think that is probably one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of. You know, many agencies were laying off numerous staff members, clients were closing doors, and we managed to, to batten down the hatches and, and keep the team together and, and be and ensure that we paid our consultants first. You know, there were many months where my business partner and I, Nicole Kapper, she, you know, neither of us took a salary yeah. because it was about paying our, our team and our consultants and our suppliers first. And for that, they, they rewarded us in the long run. Um, so I, you know, I think that's one of the key learnings I had is if you take care of the people around you, they'll take care of you. Okay. All right. So you ran your company for about seven years and then what happens? You decided to sell the company? I did. I had been doing what I was doing, you know, since I was in varsity. Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoyed the communication space, but if I'm really honest, I got a bit bored. Okay. And I wanted to, I wanted a new challenge. 
I actually ended up going to South by Southwest, which is the uh, music festival yeah. um, and, you know, internet conference or kind of online conference that happens in Austin, Texas. Yeah. And it just opened my eyes to this amazing world out there of opportunities and entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. innovation and music. And, uh, you know, I, I got to see the most incredible speakers and I came back and almost at exactly the same time. Oh, I beg your pardon. Was that the year you spoke there or you just went... So and that's the first year. I actually spoke there last year, which oh, okay. was 2014. Okay. So, All right, we'll talk um, about that. So, yeah, this was 2012. Okay. And at the time, Emma Kay, who had started Boza, um, had actually locked down the investment she needed to grow the team. And she approached me and said, I know you're running your own business, but I'd love for you to get involved with Boza. It's mobile. It's all around, you know talent and content and building something that hasn't been done before. Are you interested? And it was a very, very hard decision. And I think one of the hardest conversations was to go back to my business partner and say, I'm really sorry, but you know, I need to move on. And uh, so I sold my shares to, to my business partner in Mango uh-huh. and I joined the Bozza team. And it's just, it, it was one of the best things I ever did. Not that I, I don't regret doing it. Let's put it that way. I think I was young enough to, to realize that it, it was time to also learn more and do more. And so just keep broadening your horizons. And, and I was young enough not to have uh, the fear attached to, to changing careers, which I think if you're older, it becomes a lot harder. Yeah. That's right. So what was the opportunity in the mobile space in Africa that you saw that um, encouraged you to join Boza? I'm not sure if you're familiar with Toby Shapshak. He he does a did a really great talk at TED actually about how Africa is a mobile first continent. And Toby's a very good friend of mine, very wise man. Okay. And he he says it so well, which is, you know, he, his words are, it's not actually a mobile first continent. It's a mobile only continent. Oh, wow. And we see this in, in desktop usage and in, um, you know, the, the decline of desktop usage and just the fact that, you know, so many countries leapfrog desktop entirely. Yeah. You know, most people's first experience with the internet is on their mobile phone. Mm-hmm. And so the, it, it just, it seems stupid not to move into mobile. Um, it is, you know, I hate to say, oh, it's the future. It sounds very cheesy. Um, but at the time in 2012, people started realizing that, you know, you build mobile first. And everything that we started doing from a Mango OMC perspective reiterated that for us. And so when this opportunity came along to, to work in a space of not only working with international funders, but also building something locally where we could look at how can we actually uplift um, you know, the music and content um, space, kind of that system D, if you like, of, of uh, informal um, music and, you know, where artists don't have an opportunity to break through the glass ceiling because they don't necessarily have a contract with Sony or with Warner. You know, we wanted to create almost this new YouTube um, and make it discoverable. And in order to be discoverable, we had to be on mobile. Um, and Emma had this fantastic vision of how can we empower that creative economy and how can we recognize that kind of the heartbeat of Africa needed a place to be uh, featured and for people to be discovered. And so it was just this wonderful opportunity that came my way, which I eventually grabbed with both hands and learned so much. It was, it was wonderful. Um, and actually, the, the biggest learning there is you don't know what you don't know. So, okay. we, so, so what do you we mean, learn what, a lot. What do you mean by going. that? Well, you know, we all have these preconceived ideas of what we're going to do. I guess that's uh, what happens in, in 
small companies and startups. You know, we have this idea of there's a, there's a problem and we think we can build a solution. Mm-hmm. And every point that you get to where you pivot or you learn from, from your data and you iterate is you realize, again, sometimes the most simplest things that you didn't realize that you should have taken into account. And often it, it, the, the big learnings allow you to end up building a product that might not look like what you thought it would be at the start, but that ends up being much better. And you don't know what you don't know until you actually get your hands in there and you get your hands dirty and you actually get the job done. And you listen to what the market has to say. And I think that holds true for any company out there. You know, we can't all be Steve Jobs and basically say, we think that users want this. I think there's a fine line between um, having an an idea to solve a problem, but also being willing and open to hear feedback from not only your market, but your investors and and your suppliers and everyone around you. So that was was a big learning for me. Um, And also recognizing that, you know, I might be South African, I might be um, an African but by the end of the day, you know, for example, my first trip to Lagos, I was blown away. Um, I learned so much, you know, about about just the way people do business and the nuances in conversations. You know, you can sit in a, in a conversation and there's a conversation you think you're having and the one you're actually having and the one the other person thinks they're having. You know, so I was very lucky to have a, a colleague of mine who's Kenyan, but she was married to a Nigerian for, for 20 years and and she went with me on my first trip. And if it wasn't for Celestine, I would have been completely and totally lost. And it was learning about being humble. You know, South Africans have a bad habit of being a little cocky sometimes. So it was really a, a, a great humbling experience to, to remember to sit and to listen. Um, so, yeah, that, those were just kind of bits and pieces of learnings that I've had through the years. Okay. That's great. So now before we go on, could you give us like an example of one of the biggest successes you had while at Boza? Sure. So Boza is interesting because they, we launched the app um, and, and versions of it. Mm-hmm. And we managed to have quite big operator deals on the table with the likes of Glow and, um, and so forth. So, it's a pan- by the time so it was I a Pan-African app? Actually- it was indeed. Okay. But Boza um, eventually, just after I left, pivoted entirely and went straight into just a mobile um, website. In other words, no longer an app. Okay. Um, and so at the time, you know, I would say that the, the biggest success we had there was to put a team together who were dedicated enough to work on something that often took a lot of courage to do. You know, you you are fighting against um, all the other, you know, big labels out there against radio, etc. The challenge there was to a educate artists about how to upload their own content. Um, the fact that there is an opportunity to do, to do this, but also the biggest challenge was how do you monetize this? Mm. So Emma's belief was that it's not content that you should be monetizing, but rather talent. And I think if you look at what MTN does in, in Nigeria now, um, you know, every street pole that you drive down has ice prints or, you know, any of the big stars involved. And they really pushed for um, this idea that you can monetize talent. You can find artists, you can endorse them, you can look after them, um, and they will then represent your brand. And that's really what Boza, I think, as, a, as an underpinning platform, they wanted to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, it was it was. Unfortunately for me, I wasn't there long enough to see them push out into the market 
But in terms of the uh, initial proof of concept that they had, yeah. I think they had something ridiculous like 40,000 downloads in two or three days. Oh, wow. It was just crazy. So it really proved that there was a need in the market, market. for an app that allowed artists to, to surface themselves. Okay. Okay, that's very interesting. So now, after Boza, you decided to take a, a sabbatical, as it were, to go study the mobile industry. Why, why, did you, why did you decide to take so much time off? So it wasn't, it ended up being about four or five months um, for two reasons. I didn't want to leave Boza and move straight into something else. I wanted to first understand what was out there. I sit on the board of the Silicon Cape Committee um, here in Cape Town, and I wanted to better understand the startup ecosystems um, that flourish across the world because startups is something, you know, kind of the whole startup scene is something I'm super interested in. I, it, it resonates with me and, I wanted to understand, you know, I was hoping to also get to Tel Aviv, for example. I wanted to understand what made Tel Aviv work, you know, in, in, mm. and what makes Silicon Valley and San Francisco work. I mean, of course, you, you would need years and years and years to figure this out, and people have written books about this. But um, I wanted to go and see what all the hype was about. And similarly, I wanted to better understand what the big music um, platforms like Spotify and RDO and so forth were thinking about in terms of Africa. You know, what was their strategy? Because enough times we see... Uh, foreign, if I may, or non-African companies move onto this continent and try and deploy strategies as they would in Europe or the U.S., not recognizing that it, it doesn't work the same way. Yeah. You've got to approach the market differently in the same way that you would approach China differently or mm-hmm. India differently. And so I wanted to understand what their thinking was. And at part of the, the this trip, I guess, was that I also ended up meeting with all the big labels and with RDO and with Spotify. I met the founders of Songza. You know, music is my first love, as you yeah. know. And I just thought it would be nice to go and figure out what they were doing and why and how you could do it better. And I wanted to strengthen my networks in the U.S. and, and in the U.K. And back in, the he- back in my head, I thought, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to help some people to actually do what they're doing there, but here and make use of the network I'd built up over two years. Um, you know, there's some amazing companies I work with and I thought maybe there's an opportunity for all of us to also benefit yeah. from finding clients, but doing it right and making sure that we can make some money from it. Um, not at the expense of others, but rather at the, at the opportunity of helping them grow their businesses and therefore grow ours. And so I also took some time out. I, I thought it would be a nice idea to learn how to surf. So I went to Bali um, and, you know, so there were about three, four weeks in there that was also just for play and for fun. So it wasn't just all. Um, having run my own business and then go into two years with another business, I thought it might be time to, to go and clear my head and figure out what I wanted to do with life. Yeah, I heard Bali is really, really nice in terms of the um, beaches and surfing. I've never been, I want to go there, oh, but I've never been. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. <laughs> Okay, that's great. So you mentioned you're on the board of the Silicon Cape. I just wanted to find out who, how is the startup scene in South Africa different from that of either Kenya or Nigeria, as it were. Because you also mentioned earlier about um, your first trip to, to Nigeria and the business conversation you thought you were having wasn't the one you were actually having. So we'll go into like the cultural differences of doing business, but I want to know like. How is the startup scene in South Africa um, similar or different to other countries in um, the rest of Africa? Sure. I, I wouldn't say 
I think at, fundament, at, a, at a fundamental level, entrepreneurs are all the same. We're all hungry. You would know this. We're hungry. We want to solve problems. We make things happen regardless of the challenges and the situations that we find ourselves in. I don't think there's any difference there. I think where, um, you know, if you look at what Paul Kukuba did in, in Kenya, you know, he really kind of turned Kenya into an ICT first um, yeah. country and did some amazing work with kind of Vision 2030. And if you look at what um, the guys from Oshahidi did, you know, Eric Hersman and so forth, when they started up the iHub and so forth, they created spaces within which entrepreneurs could finally have structure but do what they do well without having to worry about the challenges of office space or good internet or... Hello? You know, whatever that might be. I think what the Silicon Cape does is it's not that there is a board. Mm -hmm. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I know. It cut off a bit. I can hear you now. Right. <laughs> challenges of doing business in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, we, you know, there is a board and there are people like myself and, and other committee members who take on specific portfolios. But the idea is that it's less about it being a body and more about being a concept of you, you're part of a community that is the Silicon Cape. Oh. And it is this idea that you can sit in a coffee shop and there's startups everywhere around you. But by the same token, there, there are a number of people who, you know, we lobby government around red tape and IP exchange controls. And we've just literally put a, a, a policy through um, with the help of, of our government connections and uh, to turn Cape Town into first open data city. You know, if you look at what San Francisco has done um, with their open data and building some of the first open data apps, you know, it, it, those types of things that foster entrepreneurship and allow for more opportunities. Um, we're lucky because within Cape Town we, and the Western Cape, we have great support from government um, who recognize that entrepreneurship is a way to grow the economy. So I would say that within South Africa, the, the startup space is a lot more formalized, if you like. Okay. Um, but still, by the same token, it's no different than, you know, going to kind of the CC hub and walking into spaces where they're just fascinating, interesting hungry, you know, let's make stuff work people. And it, so the world over for me, that remains the same. I think the passion remains the same. It's just, I guess, that in South Africa, we've been lucky where it's been recognized as a sector that needs to be supported at, from a government level. Still more can be done always. Um, but, you know, we, we, we're far behind New York and San Francisco and Tel Aviv and so forth. But just recently, Cape Town's actually been named as one of the top seven cities to consider as one of the places to, to start your startup. Um, you know, more so with fiber coming into play. And, you know, suddenly the idea that we're at the very tippy tip of, of the African continent doesn't actually matter so much anymore. And that's really great. So I would say doing business here is, is very similar to, to how startups run from what I've seen in, in both Kenya and in Nigeria. Um, it's just, you know, we're, we all have the same passion. We all want to make things work. That's great. That's great. So now you go on your sabbatical, you take a trip to Bali, you have some fun, and then um, what what then? What did you realize after you got rested and refreshed? And what what sparked you to say, hey, let me start up um, HQ Africa? <laughs> I got uh, quite a number of job offers. I was very lucky there. Um, While you were you know, on vacation? 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> that's great. It was actually quite tricky. I went through yeah. a very long um, process, interview process with Mozilla Firefox, actually, and I was really keen to work for them. But I got halfway through this, this interview process, and I realized deep down in my gut that if they offered me the job, I wouldn't be able to say yes. I didn't want to work for someone again. I wanted to work for myself. Mm -hmm. I was good at working for myself. And I enjoyed my time at Borza, but I wanted to do my own thing again and have my own dream and my own vision realized. And so I, it was one of the hardest mails to write because I, I basically had to write them this mail to say, I'm really thankful that you consider me as a candidate to run business development across Africa for Mozilla Firefox, which really everybody would pay good money to be part of. But I'm really sorry, I wouldn't be able to say yes if you did offer me the job. And they came back and, and to their credit were very, very kind about it. I think they were quite disappointed, which was also nice. But, you know, I had also in during this time, I'd met a big data company um, out of New York and the the, the uh, founder of that company is actually a South African. And I was starting to get very interested in this big data space. And Evan was very keen to roll a lot of his um, expertise out into the South African space to see whether there was an opportunity to use big data in emerging markets, um, especially around the algorithms they'd built. So I'd already semi-signed a contract with them. And then one of the Naspash companies here, which you might be familiar with, um, they, they're very fairly well-known in Nigeria too, is called PriceCheck. And PriceCheck is an online price comparison site. So yes. you can really kind of compare the prices from any product out there as long as it's, you know, it's new. It's not OLX. It's not um, mm -hmm. used stuff. And they, too, were very keen to roll out um, further, and that included Nigeria. So they had a base office there, but they hadn't yet set up all the operator relationships or OEM relationships that they were looking for. So between the two of them, I knew that I had an income and I had clients and I had many more kind of knocking on my door, and I just thought, well, let's take the plunge. Let's start something again, and I did. So it was really, again, I guess, naive. The more naive you are, the better, because then you can't be scared about what lies ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Catherine, you're right. Sometimes ignorance actually is bliss. But let's take a quick minute to thank some of our friends before we get on with the rest of the show. Are you stuck in a dead-end job or looking to change careers? If that's the case, I've got great news for you at Njoka.com. Njoka.com is Africa's fastest growing job search engine and aggregator that helps job seekers in Africa find employment opportunities in the locations nearest to them. You can browse jobs by category and location in real time. No more applying to outdated job postings or convoluted application processes. Join the millions who've used Njoka.com to start their career journey and change their lives. Go to Njoka.com. That's N-J-O-R-K-U.com. The future is only a click away. Are you interested in increasing sales and driving higher profitability for your company? Do you want to reach over 50 million buyers and potential customers? Then head over to Conga Marketplace at Conga.com. Conga.com is Nigeria's largest e-commerce marketplace that provides millions of customers the ability to access a wide variety of products at very attractive prices. Showcase your goods and services and watch your business explode. Go to Conga.com, that's K-O-N-G-A.com, and sign up to be a seller on Niger's largest marketplace. So now, could you just expand on that feeling? Because... You hear a lot of people saying, you know, I had a gut feeling that, you know, I, I'd rather bet on myself than take a job. 
and um, it seems like you experienced the same thing. So I've, I, I want to know from like maybe an outsider's perspective, or if we're talking to people that are thinking of starting their own thing, um, maybe it's a difficult question to ask, but how 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 do you know when it's that time to like you know bet on yourself as as it were, you know? There's a do you follow the heretic? The heretic? What's, mm-hmm. what's that? Um, it, the heretic is is uh, it's a really great. His name is Pascal Finet. Okay. Um, and he does these little daily updates that you can that you can uh, subscribe to. They're very short, but they're very inspirational okay. around entrepreneurship. And if I may, I'm not sure how you feel about swearing, but uh, forgive me for this. But I think it's worth worth reading. But his his post just this week, the headline said, "Do epic shit." Yeah. <laughs> and he reads, over coffee yesterday, my dear friend Stephen Forte mentioned to me that this, his main driver in life is to do epic shit. If your current line of work doesn't allow you to make a dent, if your work environment doesn't support you in what doesn't support you in doing what you're meant to do, if your boss gets in your way, if your coworkers sap your energy instead of providing constant source of excitement, change. Do epic shit. Don't settle for anything less. Always run. Never walk. Pascal. And I think that describes it best. You know, if you aren't making a dent where you are and you feel you can actually make a dent elsewhere, then I think that burning need isn't something that we can ever really pinpoint or, put a, a, or describe. Yes. And I think much to my parents' dismay, they would have liked me to become a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, a teacher and go out there and have a solid job that they could actually describe to their friends what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, they still try and describe to their friends what I do and never really get it right. But I think that's the main drive. That's how I would answer is if you really want to make a difference in the world and you want to affect and effect change, then that's the time to do it for yourself. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, and it's also interesting to hear that African parents are kind of the same, no matter what country you're from. <laughs> I would expect my mom to say the exact same thing. And other people I've spoken to, like in other parts of Africa, they always say the exact same thing. So it's interesting to hear that even in South Africa, parents feel the same way. Unless you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer, something they understand. <laughs> All that start of stuff. Something they it? can explain to yeah. their friends over a dinner party. What does your daughter do? Um, I think she works with like cell phones. Very, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very difficult to explain, indeed. Uh, okay that's great so now you're up and running with hq africa and was this the first trip you took to nigeria when you started hq africa or why why did you actually okay go on i'd been traveling for for boza we've done quite a few trips to to lagos and to to nairobi um so it certainly wasn't the first time i built up an amazing network of friends and you know, every time I get to Lagos or to Nairobi, I make a point of visiting the iHub and the CC Hub and going for, you know, fish, bar- fish barbecues at Lekki Beach. And, you know, I made a point of really, I've, I've got some fantastic friends there. And I wanted another opportunity to continue to do business there. I think, mm. um, you know, especially in Lagos, I have such admiration for Nigerians and how they get stuff done. You know, it doesn't matter what the challenge is. You know, whether your electricity is out or the traffic is at a standstill or there are 50 million potholes or, you know, they just, they take this American dream, I guess, to the nth degree of like, 
anything is possible. I can be anything if I set my mind to it. And it's such a fantastic environment in which to operate. Um, I would say this is that South Africans don't have that. South Africans often sit back and expect the government to help or, you know, some entity to help. Whereas with Nigerians, uh, you know, they, they don't wait for anyone else to offer it to them. They just make it happen. And I love that. I love, and that's the exciting multicultural layered textured environment that I love to operate in. So what were some of the initial challenges or obstacles you faced with, um, setting up our run in HQ Africa? Um, that's an interesting question. I, I guess the biggest challenge initially was the fact that it was just me and making sure that I could still deliver on, on the promises that I, you know, I made. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second biggest challenge I guess was setting up a business from a structural point of view to be able to operate across borders. Um, you know, my previous business had been just within South Africa. It was a fairly straightforward setup, but now I had to consider that clients would pay in different territories and that work would be executed in different territories. Um, but in itself, it was actually, I guess, what makes HQ Africa such a blessing to work in, work with, at, whatever the, the, the word would be, is that things really did come naturally. The right people arrived at the right time. The right opportunities opened up at the right time. I had fantastic clients. I was lucky enough to be able to choose the clients I wanted. And I think that's a big, probably the biggest blessing. Because sometimes as, as startups, when we need money in the bank and we need to eat because we're pretty much tired of eating bread and water and tuna, um, is that you know, being able to choose the clients you work with and make a difference where you know you're most needed. That's what I think is, has made this whole process so much easier. Um, and also, as I said, the, the, the relationships I built up through my years at Forza really came in handy because I had the opportunity to turn to the likes of Shane and Simi, who are now directors of HQ Africa, and say, you know, can you help? Are you interested? How do I help this client localize this page? You know, we've been working with a client called The Dating Lab, and uh, they want to launch kind of a, 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 de- a mobile dating version in, in Nigeria, but a very localized one, not, mm. not you know, kind of the Badu style where it's, it's just a copy, carbon copy of what happens elsewhere. Yeah. And it's been so fascinating because, you know, Simi also comes from a copywriting background. And I send him the, the, the normal forms that someone would fill in if they were going to go through the dating process. You know, of course, you want to match people properly. But here you have body shapes described as, pear-shaped or apple-shaped. And uh, Simi came back and he went, no, 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 we've got to change this. There's Coca-Cola shape and there's pawpaw shape. And, you know, <laughs> so it's really just understanding. And, of course, you take this back to client and they're like, are you kidding? You can't say Coca-Cola shape. I'm like, yes, you can. That's how it works. <laughs> so those are the, the things that often you, you know, clients have preconceived ideas about how, what it is. And it's the, the biggest challenge, I guess, is to get them to trust you um, mm. and to show them that what you're talking about isn't complete and total nonsense. Mm. <laughs> and is the trust factor still a very big issue? Because I, I do know that um, a lot of people, even in the U.S., they try to come and do business in Africa. And it's always that, um, you know, who do I trust? Who do I work with? So how, how, how is that going in general? like finding people to trust and to work with. I mentioned it earlier. I think that 
you know, as soon as you are in a fortunate position where word of mouth comes into play, mm-hmm. that's the biggest token of trust that someone can give you. Um, you know, and if you're doing a good job and you, you do it consistently and you do it in a way that, that adds value to, to your clients, then they're going to tell other people that mm-hmm. you do it well. And therefore the trust isn't because you put up a great website and you make it look swanky and you can write beautiful words and, you know, the trust factor is, is, is can you deliver? Okay. And um, that's trust is the only thing we have at the end of the day, the trust between us and our clients, us and our suppliers, the relationships you build, the, it, trust and honesty is all you have. You only yeah. have your word. Yeah. And so I, I, I think if I had to emphasize one thing about doing business, whether you're in the services business, whether you are shipping you know, a product, whether you are a lawyer, you only have trust. So it's, if I, one, one day when I have children, it will be the single biggest thing, I guess, that I would want them to understand and, and, and internalize. Well, your word is your bond, and that's what people hold you to. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So now let's, so what are some of the successes that you've experienced in the year and a half that you've launched uh, HQ Africa? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am very proud of the fact that we uh, set up the operator relationships between PriceCheck and MTN, both here in South Africa and in Nigeria, which is a very big deal. I guess collectively is probably the largest e-commerce deal in the continent at the time. Yeah. Um, and also that we managed to work with every single one of the OEMs to ensure that our, our app is preloaded onto those devices. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time. Doing business is, isn't always as quick and as fast as we wanted to. Contracts and lawyers and all those things take a lot of time. Yeah. But that I'm very proud of. I'm also incredibly proud that despite saying no to Mozilla Firefox as a, a potential employer, I now have the good fortune of working with them to launch the Firefox OS here into South Africa, and we'll be looking at other African territories very shortly. So that's that's been really great. Um, and I guess the biggest success of all is actually that I could earn a living from doing what I love. Mm. Um, and I could also spread that to the, the partners and the agent, other consultants and agencies that we work with so that they too could learn, you know, continue to do work that they love. And that's, I think my, if I, that's what I'm most proud of. I wouldn't know. I don't know if that's a success, but that's what I'm most proud of. That's great. So now could you tell me an entrepreneur that, you admire and why do you admire that person? Oh, so many. <laughs> How long do you have? <laughs> um, okay. Pick your favorite. Or your favorite, <laughs> favorite two. Wow. <laughs> so maybe I should, I'm, I'm going to go big. Let's go okay. with the biggest one. Okay. I'll look at fellow South African Elon Musk. Okay. Um, I'm not often starstruck, but I think I might have a moment if I ever did have an opportunity to meet him. Because there is a man that has the biggest wildest craziest ideas and he doesn't let anyone stop him in making it happen and i really admire that bravery that courage to stick to your convictions and and do something regardless of how many people tell you that you're stark raving mad (laughs) you know let's face it building a hyperloop is pretty stark raving mad. yeah (laughs) or putting all your money in rocket ships Exactly, <laughs> and try and re-land them again. It's like really. <laughs> so yes, I, if I if I had to look up to someone, it's it's him. 
yeah and i knew that like um a lot of other um big name south african entrepreneurs in the u.s are doing cool stuff too so um if you had to take for example go to dinner with um elon musk as it were what what are some of the questions you'd like to ask him how does he manage to have so many boys (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you know, he's got some ridiculous, like he's got four boys or something. No, I'm, I'm being a little silly, but um, what are some of the questions I would ask him? Uh, you know what, interestingly, as much as I look up to him, I think one of the questions I would ask is why he's not more involved in bringing back some of his expertise and his um, experience to South Africa. He's very much um, rooted himself in the U.S. There's, mm. there's very little connection back home. Um, but I would also ask him what his biggest challenges were because, you know, he has also in his own way had his, his own failures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not always moonshine and roses. Um, and I think it's about how do you deal with that fear of 4 a.m. in the morning when you think, gosh, maybe I should just become a teacher or maybe I should just become an engineer. Because actually sometimes it's very scary to be an entrepreneur. You don't actually know what the, the next corner holds and mm-hmm. you don't know where your next paycheck will come from sometimes. And it's it's that constant balance between wanting to do what you love and and dealing with the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to hear from someone like him how he manages that. How does he how does he maintain that balance? Um, yeah. I guess that would be those, those would be the two things. I'd like him to do more here, um, and I'd like to understand why he doesn't, um, although I probably know the answer. And the second is, is that I think I would like to learn from him as to how do you actually maintain this, this work-life, entrepreneur-slash-corporate-world balance and, and, and remaining, being able to stick to the convictions, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I think that's... Um, yeah, those are some pretty important questions that... <laughs> the, I'm sure the answers will probably be very difficult to give, but yeah, I'd love to be a fly on the wall on that dinner party just to hear. <laughs> just, just, just. Look, to... if I have an opportunity to meet him, I'll invite you. I'll, that? I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> That's great. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit now. You say you're on the board of um, a new venture. It's in the niche music streaming space, and you're currently. Yes. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that? I can. I unfortunately can't say too much yes, yet. Yes, sure, sure. Um, but so I I mentioned that I'd gone to see all these streaming services and mm-hmm. a lot of the labels. I am Afrikaans, so that's my first language. And the one thing I know from the work I did with Manga OMC, with, with DSTV and a lot of the Afrikaans music channels, a lot of the Afrikaans arts and culture festivals, that often you cannot separate music and culture. Mm. Um, in many cases, you cannot separate music and culture. And so I believe that there is a model to look at how do you step away from the one-size-fits-all music streaming model yeah. where you, know, you can listen to 33 million songs because the reality is no one listens to 33 million songs. We listen to the music we love repeatedly. We discover new music through friends and family and through influencers. And that at the end of the day, I think that if you could look at a very linear television model, if you like, the closest analogy, one back end that allows you to stream music, but every channel is branded and curated according to a specific audience. 
So if you're on Discovery Channel, you see nature and plants. If you're on MTV, you see music. If you're on CNN, you see news. And what they do exceptionally well is understand that they are niche interests. You know, and you don't find a channel that has a bit of everything on it. Very rarely do those channels work these days. And so I just believe that if we can start identifying niche music groupings, we can make offer those groupings a much better experience, mm-hmm. a much better content offering, and we can brand it and curate it according to their specific tastes, and therefore that many niches can make up one very big whole. And so we're actually starting by launching an Afrikaans music streaming service here in South Africa. Um, and we've just raised Angel Round for that, and we'll be raising Series A fairly shortly. And it's a proof of concept, and it's a wild, mad idea, but we have a fantastic international board. Mm. Um, I have a fantastic team, and as a result, I'll actually be slowly starting to hand over most of the HQ stuff to a new MD so that I can focus just strategically on HQ and give input and and so forth, but that more I'm more and more I move into working with the team to build this the streaming platform. Okay. That's interesting. That's great. All right. Itchy feet, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's always there. All right. So now as we begin to wind up the show, I just want to ask you a few wrap up questions. What's the one piece of advice you tell yourself if you have, if you could travel back in time? <laughs> um Wow. (laughs) I guess from the very beginning, the advice I would have given myself with Manga OMC is get the proper structures in place. Because, you know, we were very gung-ho. I was very gung-ho. I just kind of, you know, looked ahead and kept moving. And I, I didn't place enough value on setting up a company from a share structure to a shareholder's agreement to the legal side of things where, Eventually, when you do exit, make it so much easier. And it's worth spending a little bit of time and a little bit of money getting those structures in place. Good contracts make for good relationships. Um, And I didn't spend enough time on my business. I spent too much time on making other people's businesses work. I could have done more to set up my business that the process of exiting eventually would have been a lot easier. Certainly something I'm now taking into my new ventures. I can tell you that much. You only have to learn your lesson once. Once, yeah. (laughs) And um, what were some of your biggest mistakes when you first started out? And how did you rectify them? The biggest mistake was that I allowed my business to take over my life. And it impacted on my family and on my friends and on me at the end of the day. Um, Sometimes we... Well... If you're working 12, 13, 14 hour days, you're not taking any holiday, you're not taking the time out to look after you, you are the business at the end of the day. And so I think now with, I'm not that old, but being a little older than 24, which is what I was when I started Mango, um, I can look back and say that it's important to take time for you and to be able to have the time to be present and to reflect and take quiet time and not get so caught up in just work. Um, it's not necessarily a failing I had, but it's certainly something that I've learned to become better at. Okay. Okay. And um, you already mentioned the heretics, but could you give us like a list of some of the um, 
books, tapes, messages, blogs that you find inspirational and helpful as you're going through this entrepreneurial journey? Sure. Um, I, I read very widely. You know, I read everything from Scientific American to Vanity Fair to, you know, I, 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 a lot of fiction, interestingly enough. Mm. I'm not the biggest follower of business books, strangely. Um, mm. I have read many, um, but I find reading for me is a time to learn something outside of my normal realm of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Um, and so I, you know, I often, I subscribe to Zeit, for example. So, and it gives me stories from, you know, ancient history to, uh, you know, rock and roll and music, etc. It I like the, the variety behind it. Okay. Um, but there are, of course, you know, Fast Company and Harvard Business Review and all of the stock standard channels, which sound cliched, but really I go to often um, because in, I do enormous amount of research for, for all of the projects I'm involved in. And, and an outside view is, is, is always a, a good thing to have and being open to, to other people's opinions. Um, but if there was one thing in particular, I really, as I mentioned, enjoy The Heretic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I do do is I subscribe to a lot of the music industry blogs and things, which sends updates weekly on, on what's out there. Mm. Um, and then within the Silicon Cape community, we have a fantastic website and, and blog, which often just tells you about what's happening in, in the community around you so that you can stay in touch. Okay. And one recurring thing I keep hearing while talking to you is music, music. So do you play an instrument? I do not. Or do you sing? I sing very badly in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) I sing very badly in the shower. (laughs) Let's stick to that. Uh, Well, I mean, it's still (laughs) early in 2015. You can still pick up a skill in, I don't know, any instrument that you like or or singing. (laughs) I probably could. (laughs) You know, at school I did do flute and I did piano, um, but it's not something that I ever continued. I was far more athletic, much to my mother's dismay. I wanted to run outside and not sit and do uh, piano lessons. (laughs) That's interesting. Okay, so now I think this will probably be our final question of the day, but um, what's the advice you give to recent graduates that are thinking of launching a venture in Africa or people that are looking outside, listening to this show, and they're saying, hey, you know what? I mean, it really sounds great what Catherine is doing here and what everybody else in Africa is doing. So what's um, the key piece of advice you'd give to people that think of coming into Africa to set up shop or to launch a new venture? I think the single biggest thing I would say is don't bring preconceived ideas with you. Be prepared to be open to what the market holds as opposed to what you think it holds. Um, you know, that's the biggest mistake I've seen brands make, whereas they come in and they think that it will work exactly as it does where they come from. And that they look down and think of Africa as being backwards, and it's not. We're far more advanced in so many areas. Mm. And it's being humble enough to be open to what you don't know. Um, I think that would be the single biggest thing which I already share with clients. Single biggest thing, which is just go, observe, listen, learn, and then apply what you think could be, you know, how you could change and be prepared to partner from the ground up. Um, it's an inside out approach, which is, which is the most crucial thing to do in business. I believe on, on this continent. Hmm. That's great. 
And with that said, we've come to the end of the show. It's really been a pleasure talking to you for the past hour, Catherine. We've learned so much from your experience, your advice, and everything, all the little nuggets of wisdom you've shared. So um, before we go, is there any other parting piece of advice you'd like to let the listeners know or if or where to reach you or your writing or anything of the sort? Well, you can always reach out to me via the HQ Africa website at hqafrica.com. And I guess the, the, the only thing I would say is don't be afraid. It's fear. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. And it's hard sometimes, but it's worth it. And that's it. And also just, of course, thank you to you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Catherine. And with that said, guys, like she just said, don't be afraid. Um, exciting things happen on the other side of fear. So take the leap, take the plunge, and, of course, do epic shit. All right. <laughs> 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 Don't let another minute go by without taking action to change your life. Visit Ordeshi.com right now for more incredible resources, and we'll see you next time on Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur.